Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcasts at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at eric, E-R-I-K, dot Anderson at nllutheran.com. Back to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. We are continuing our conversation about leading life groups. And today we are stepping into part three. And so if you haven't been listening or you're catching back up, I encourage you to step back and hit up part one and part two so you can really understand what we're talking about. But today I'll be joined as always with Pastor Eric, our discipleship pastor. And today we'll be talking about reading our Bible. And this is something that we all know is a critical part of our discipleship process, but oftentimes we don't make it a priority. Or when we do, it seems so confusing or intimidating that we tend to stop. So today we want to equip you to understand your Bible in a deeper way and hopefully a more digestible way. So we're going to step right into this conversation. We're going to head right into it. And we're going to start off with a simple question of what is scripture? Yeah. So um, first of all, morning, Ben. Good to see you. Secondly, for our listeners, if you hear noises, I apologize. We do have my 10-month-old son in the room with us. But as Pastor Ben pointed out before recording started, Jesus did say, let the little children come to me. So we are welcoming the littlest child um, on staff or connected to staff in our podcast this morning. Um, so when we talk about scripture, um, what we're what we're dealing with fundamentally is the word of God. I mean, it, the scriptures, we believe that the scriptures are the word of God given to us. Um, and that would be in contrast to other mainline groups that might say the scriptures contain the word of God, but they are not necessarily all the word of God. So we do believe that um, the words are inspired, that the way that they are given is inspired, uh, the way they have been um, throughout the generations um, as they were before canonization, as they were collected and organized and edited, that was all done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, So this is an example of how God works incarnationally because he has chosen to give um, us his presence and his will and his mind and his Holy Spirit um, through humans, through human language, through human literature. Um, So the scriptures are nothing short of the word of God um, in, in human literature and human language. So it's the thing that God gave us to know him. And as we talked about last, um, last week, the word of God is this law and gospel that we talked about. Um, so he gives, he gives us the law and the gospel through the scripture. That's how he speaks to us. Um, so we have, uh, two main, uh, parts of the Bible. Um, as many people know, we have what we call the old Testament and the new Testament. 
I, I like to, uh, I'm currently studying um, a master's right now at a seminary, and I prefer to call them the Hebrew Bible, which is what we would call the Old Testament, um, and the apostolic writings, which is what we would call the New Testament, um, just because those are more precise terms for those. There's um, People don't really know what Old and New Testament means. They just know it's the two different collections. So I like to call the Hebrew Bible, um, which is uh, the Old Testament written in Hebrew and some Aramaic originally, and uh, the apostolic writings, which were written in Greek, um, which were all written after Jesus and about um, his time here on earth. Uh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, points to Jesus from nearly the very beginning. Um, we uh, hear about God creating the world in Genesis chapter one. Um, in Genesis chapter two, we hear about God uh, creating humans and commissioning them to do their thing. In Genesis chapter three, we hear about the fall. Uh, and Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible. And in Genesis three, we also hear a promise that um, after the sin, after the rebellion of Adam and Eve, that there's a promised uh, human coming who is going to defeat evil and defeat um, the lie that Satan told. And uh, we know that person um, now as Jesus. So the whole Old Testament is kind of this build up toward um, this person who's coming. So continually through through the Hebrew Bible, there are these hints, these promises, um, looking forward to a time when um, somebody is coming. And then the New Testament, the apostolic writings, are the, the Greek writings of those who witnessed Jesus, who saw him, um, from the beginning of his ministry on, um, who participated with him in his life and are writing about the Jesus event. Now that this person has come, uh, he did his ministry, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. After he ascended, then these writings happened, and they, they're the, the disciples and the other apostles t- telling uh, about their um, experience with Jesus. Um yeah, so that's um, that's what the scripture is fundamentally. A couple of other things um, that uh, I just want to just want to mention uh, here at the beginning before we move into further things. Um, the scriptures are designed um, to be read and reread over and over and over again over a lifetime. Um, so we're told in Psalm one um, that the the truly happy person, the blessed person, um, meditates on the the law of the Lord, the the scriptures day and night. And, um, and so that's, that's how they're designed to be read is to be read over a lifetime. Um, practically every day they're designed to be read over and over and over again. Um, and then the other thing that, that I want to kind of lay down fundamentally is that they're designed for the community. Um, every, every story, every prayer, every poem, every proverb, every, um, letter that's written in the Bible, both the Hebrew Bible and the apostolic writings, the Old and the New Testament, are written with a community in mind. They're almost never um, standalone messages. Um, even even the letters um, in the in the Old Testament prophecies that are written and uh, uh, for a particular person um, are still designed in such a way uh, to be read to a whole community. So when we talk about the scriptures, they're designed to be engaged with over a lifetime, um, and they're also designed for community. So basically, that's what Scripture is. The Word of God given to us in the Old and New Testament in human language and human literature 
uh, meant to be read over and over and over again um, and meant to be read and heard in the community of believers. Pastor Eric, you mentioned two sections of the Bible. You talked about the Hebrew Bible and the apostolic writings, or more commonly, we know them as the Old Testament and New Testament or Old Covenant and New Covenant. And could you take us on a little bit deeper dive into those? Could you compare and contrast those a little bit more for us? Yeah. So, um, and, and the big thing that I we want to accomplish today with this podcast is just to give our life group leaders um, uh, an overview of the scripture so that they know um, how to lead um, uh, when they're in their life groups and they're talking about scripture, I want them to have a good grasp on scripture. I want them to engage in scripture over their whole life. I want them to enjoy the word of God. Um, so that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this today. Um, but the, the two, the two, uh, parts of the, the Bible, um, the Hebrew Bible is the largest section. The books in the Hebrew Bible are much, much, much longer. I mean, over two thirds of your Bible is the old Testament. And uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is extremely diverse. It's a collection of very different books, um, which includes stories, it includes law codes, it includes poetry, um, it includes histories, um, it includes um, some um, like memoirs. So, um, for example, um, the books of First and Second Kings are histories. Uh, the book of the books of First and Second Chronicles are history told in such a way that you see the um, the messianic hope through the kings. Um, so the details of those two books are a little bit different because Chronicles is trying to do something different than Kings is. So that's uh, Chronicles is almost a memoir and Kings, the, the book of Kings is almost a more of a history. Um, there are oracles or prophecies. So God's speaking to particular people, a particular people group, um, there, and then there are some, um, just accounts of actions that people take. Um, sometimes, uh, in a few places there are even like genealogies or lists like census. There are, um, lists of, of who came and went and who was there and, um, how many people were in the tribes and the families. So it's just, it's a super diverse group of, uh, literature all kind of mashed together and given to us. Um, the apostles, as they were writing the New Testament, they knew the Old Testament super well. And in fact, um, when when they talk about the scriptures in the New Testament, what they're talking about is the Old Testament. They're, that's the only Bible that they really knew. And, um, and so the apostles knew and they used the Hebrew Bible in just a, I mean, just extensively. Um, so there are um, something like over 400 allusions and quotes Um in the New Testament, quoting or alluding to the Old Testament, that's a lot of allusions per book. I mean, there's just a lot in there. They're packed in there. Every little nook and cranny practically has some sort of allusion to the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament books are super complex and they're rich. And and there's assumption. So when, um, for example, like a humanist approaches the scriptures, they'll often approach them as primitive. You know, they'll they'll approach them as primitive literature. Um, that can't possibly have um, deep complexity. And so if there's any sort of like weirdness or complex language, they assume multiple authors instead of assuming that one author is um, just being complex. Um, that's, that's, begin to, that's begun to shift 
um, in the last um, hundred years or so where uh, scholars are beginning to realize that these Hebrew authors were some of the most um, some of the most richly um, gifted um, and and we would say inspired as people of faith um, works of literature and so when we approach these I mean we're talking about like so think about like as complex as something like Shakespeare is or if you're reading um, Leo Tolstoy or somebody like that, like this is these authors. Um, and I believe because they were inspired, they were empowered by the Holy spirit, uh, wrote these extremely complex and extremely beautiful pieces of literature. Um, so they're not simple. They're not, they're not, um, uh, they're, they're not, they're not quick and easy to grasp. Um, they take time for us to really get to know them. Um, and so it takes a lot of time, um, for us to really get them into our bones and into our soul, it doesn't take a lot of education um, because they're 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 clear enough to know what they mean, um, but they do they do take a lot of time to really get to know them. Um, and so the apostles, as they read the as they read the Hebrew Bible, and even as Jesus read the Hebrew Bible, um, they saw it pointing to Jesus Himself. So. Uh, Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says, hey, you um, you search the scriptures thinking that they have life um, in them. Um, but in fact, all the scriptures point to me. He said that to the Pharisees. So all the Hebrew Bible, even unwittingly to the authors themselves, points toward Jesus and gets us to the need um, of a savior. And so that's really what we're talking about, the Hebrew Bible, this ultra complex web of really high literature that's all pointing toward the person of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of that literature. And then the apostolic writings, um, they're much easier to understand. They're, they're much easier to grasp. Um, they're easier to kind of get on a face value reading because they're not as complex literature. A lot of, most of them are um, letters. And so Paul is really helpful and he just says what he means. Um, and so the gospels are a little bit more like reading an Old Testament book, much more complex. Um, but the nice thing is that most of the New Testament is pretty easy to understand, especially if you have a good grasp of the Old Testament. You can catch some of the allusions, quotations. You can know um, what the authors are saying. Um, so they are essentially, the New Testament is essentially a long meditation and dwelling on the Old Testament. In our modern day, we hear a couple of things that are kind of swirling about through popular thought. You might have heard them at a church you listen to on online or watch on TV or something like that. And it's really these two ideas that, that really hold hands. And one is that the old Testament is no longer like valuable. So you might hear something like you can unhitch yourself from the old Testament. Or another thing that's kind of swirling about too, is this idea that the old Testament is for the Jewish people and the new Testament is for the Christians as if there's two separate forms of salvation or two separate people of God. So as we hear things like that in our modern day, we kind of want to address them before you have to wrestle with them yourself, or maybe you've already wrestled with them, but now you kind of are hoping for some clarity on that. So Pastor Eric, how do we understand this as Lutherans? And really, in the end, how does that impact our personal reading when we dive into the the holistic nature of, of Scripture? Yeah. So the big things are, um, first of all, we would point to Jesus first and foremost, and we would say... Um, what did Jesus say about the scriptures? So we believe that um, Jesus is the savior of the world. He is God incarnate. And so he, on top of that, 
Um, he's the only person that we know of that predicted his um, resurrection and then pulled it off. <laughs> right. So uh, I'm going to go to him when I have questions about um, the universe and maybe even questions how to read um, the Old Testament. And it's obvious um, through the Gospels that Jesus respected and he validated the authority of the Hebrew Bible. He quoted it as authoritative. He said, not one jot or tittle will, will fade. Um, he said, he did say that it is eternal. Um, he did say that they do all point to him. He uh, references the Old Testament when he's talking about marriage, and he actually points to it and says, this is laid out in our, in our story, um, in the story of creation. Um, and so he validates marriage that way. So Jesus obviously had a high respect for um, the Old Testament, for the Hebrew Bible. And, um, and so we do too. So obviously we think that it is authoritative um, and because he did. And we think that it points to him because he said it does. Um, so on top of that, we would say, um, then we would also, um, you know, Lutherans are definitely not dispensationalists. So we would not say that there are two parallel people of God. We would say that there's one people of God, um, that we are the inheritors of the covenant of Abraham as Christians uh, through Jesus Christ. And, um, and so for us, it's all one big story that's pointing to Jesus, that's getting us to Jesus. Um, so we can't, we can't neglect it because Jesus and the apostles didn't neglect it. The New Testament has a very high view of the Old Testament. It quotes and alludes to it hundreds of times, like I talked about earlier. There's just absolutely no way. I mean, no serious scholar, no serious thinker can read the New Testament and come to the conclusion, oh, well, the Old Testament isn't for us anymore. Because Jesus and Paul, the author of the Hebrews, John, um, who wrote much of the Old Test or New Testament as well, all quote and allude and respect the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as authoritative. So we just we just don't get the choice. Um, and it's good for us. It's good for us to hear um, all those stories that are pointing and and all that scripture that's pointing to Jesus. Well, now that we know that God uses both the Old Testament and the New Testament for our lives, and both are are helpful as we we read scripture. How do we engage both of those sections of scripture and do it well? Yeah. So, um, so like I said earlier, um, scripture is meant to be read over a whole lifetime. It's not, um, it's not a textbook, which is sometimes how we approach it. So when we approach the scriptures, um, and we expect them to give us like, um, how can I say this diplomatically when we expect to give uh, them to give us like precise uh, teachings about things like mathematics or science or those types of things? Um, the scriptures don't do that. They don't they don't give us um, they're not designed to give us those kinds of things. Um, it's a story. It's one big story. And uh, so we have to treat it like a story. And on top of that, it's literature. Um, so we have to treat it like literature. And it is it is divinely inspired. Um, it is um, it is kind of alien to us, um, but it is also human. So it is very divine and it's also very human. And this is actually, we already affirm that this is how God works. 
because this is what he did in Jesus Christ. He came, he became human, he put on flesh, um, and uh, he joined us. And so we see God doing that. He used that pattern even before um, he came in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, he used human words, he used human literature to tell us about himself. So that's what that's what we're doing here. We're not reading it like a textbook. It's not a moral guideline. Um, one of my least favorite things that people say, and I apologize, listeners, if you're if if you've done this before. Um, one of my least favorite things that people say is that uh, Bible is an acronym for basic instructions before leaving Earth. Like it's not those things. It is the Word of God given to us to give us faith and to tell us and to witness about Jesus Christ. It is. It is not a moral uh, guidebook. It is not um, a field guide for uh, the Christian life. It is not um, a textbook. It, it has all of those things in there, um, but it's not any one of those things. So it is, it is to give us faith, to witness to the person of Jesus Christ, and um, to, get us, to give us the Holy Spirit and to get us into God's presence. Um, through then those things, we do get things like moral instructions. We do have moral instructions in the Bible. We do have um, truth about the world and the cosmos. We do have those things. Um, we do have moral guidance in there. Um, but basically, that is not what they're for. So when we approach the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, um, we need to approach them um, as an interaction with the living God and not as a moral guide or a textbook or anything like that. Um, so it takes time to do that, right? We can't just reference it every once in a while. Um, we can't just reference it when we have a question about a particular thing because it's just not designed that way. It's not an encyclopedia. It's the it's these stories and these letters and these um, law codes and this like vast complex tapestry of literature that we just have to ingest over a lifetime. Um, so the scripture tells us how to read the scripture. It tells us um, to read it day and night, to meditate, to think about it, to process it, not necessarily read it. We can hear it. We can memorize it. We can think about it, um, but we need to be meditating on it. We need to be dwelling on the word of God day and night. And over a lifetime, that produces um, within us this life change that we're talking about. God uses the law and the gospel on us, and it transforms us the way that we talked about um, last week. Um, then, of course, we talked about the third use of the law, how um, God gives us the instructions again um, after we're after we're on the victory lap, and uh, and we get, we have them in freedom now. Um, so when it comes to personal reading, um, we did a podcast earlier um, called "A Simple Way uh, to Read Scripture," where I provided a um, a daily devotional and Bible reading plan. I'm not going to rehash that now. Go back and listen to that. And there are also links to documents to do a daily devotion and daily uh, Bible reading plan. Um, I would suggest um, my my suggestion is to try to read the Bible in a year or two years. Um, just go through that practice of, of uh, low and slow of ingesting it um, as you can. Um, and so I uh, put together a reading plan that includes a morning and evening um, reading. Um, for one year, which you can easily stretch into two by just doing the morning on day one, do the evening on day two, the morning on day three, et cetera, et cetera. So you can stretch that out to two years. Um, but go back and listen to those podcasts. Um, they're right before 
this series started. So they're just um, four or five podcasts back. So go back and listen to that and you'll get some of that um, kind of basic instructions um, on, on reading the Bible um, daily. So when we, so that's, that's reading it personally. Um, and so, so when it comes to reading the Bible together and Ben, I want to hear some of your, cause you have a lot of experience, um, being involved in life groups, a lot of pastoral experience, um, doing this kind of thing. So I, I do want to hear what you have to think. Um, some of your tips, um, I have a pretty, so the, the scriptures are my thing, like, like my passion um, as a pastor is really the word of God and getting the word of God into people's lives. Um, so for me, like this is everything hinges on reading the scriptures together or hearing them together. And that can happen in a variety of ways. You know, that can happen through um, a curriculum or it can happen through just sitting down, opening up the Bible and reading it together. Um I prefer simplicity um, and I prefer those times where um, I've gotten together with people and we've just, we've just dedicated to reading through a book of the Bible and we just sit down and read through it and and kind of wrestle through it together. Um, That takes a little bit more know-how and it takes a little bit more um, skill and adeptness at uh, recognizing and thinking through scripture. And so um, what I want to do now is provide, um, a couple of tools to working through scripture together in a group. Um, so some uh, life groups um, will focus on reading scripture. Others will focus more on a curriculum where scripture is involved, um, but it isn't kind of the main, like it's not just sitting down together and looking at a book of the Bible. Um, but either, either way, no matter how you're doing this and these, what we're going to work through right now um, is you don't even have to apply. You can apply it to nearly anything. Um, this is just a way of, of interpreting and thinking about um, a text, uh, but we're applying it to scripture because um, that's what we're, that's what we do. So the key to studying scripture well, or the key to studying a curriculum well, or the key to, to studying um, or to thinking about anything well is really to ask really good questions about the thing that you're studying um, or ask really good questions specifically as we're talking now, ask really good questions about the scripture. Um, so as I've kind of studied uh, the scriptures and studied studying the scriptures, um, which is what I did a lot of in my undergrad um, and now in my master's work, it's really about how do we study the scripture and, and how do we go through the process of, of interpreting it? Um, my my conviction is that great questions yield um, great interpretations of scripture. Um, so first of all, when we approach the scriptures, it has to be done in prayer because we're entering into this conversation with God. Um, so reading and hearing scripture basically is an act of prayer um, because we're listening to God tell us something through, through this passage. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. But as we are reading through a passage... Um, let's say it's Mark, um, it's, it's a chapter in Mark, Mark six or seven. Um, what we're going to do first, as we read, after we read a chunk of scripture, um, which as a rule, generally you should be reading scripture in large chunks, not in, not one verse at a time. That's another one of my pet peeves. 
But after we read through a chunk of scripture, we start by um, doing what I call what I call um, observation questions. Um, so there is um, the questions that we ask at kind of a 30,000 foot fly over the whole section of scripture questions. Um, and this is the observation portion of studying scripture. So we're just, we're not, we're not getting into um, the whys of things. Um, we're not really getting into how do we apply it to our lives. We're just observing the text and figuring out what it says. So when we observe the text, we ask good open-ended questions um, like who, what, when, and how. Um, so we're just trying to get a feel for what's happening, um, how it's happening, why it happened, if that information is given in the text. So the basic questions that we ask is, you know, what's going on in this text, in this passage? Who are the main characters of this passage? Um, if it's a story, that works really well. Um, sometimes in the letters, it's not so much. Um, but if you're in like an oracle of Isaiah, you ask, okay, what's going on? Who is Isaiah talking to? Who is he referencing? Who are the major players in this passage? Then you look them up. You find out what's going on. You find out um, who the main characters are and all those types of things. Um, you ask those kinds of questions just to get an idea of what's happening. Okay. In this oracle, in this prophecy that Isaiah gave, what happened? What's going on in this prophecy? Okay, well, there's a mountain, and on top of the mountain is Jerusalem, and then he references this nation and that nation. Let's look them up. Let's get some of the information that we need for this. Okay, he's saying that this nation will fall and that Jerusalem will be risen up to the high place, right? So we can get just get an idea of what's going on. If we're reading a passage in the gospel, we're like, okay, the main characters are Jesus and the demon-possessed boy and the father. So those are the main characters. What happens? The father comes and he requests that Jesus uh, heal the boy. Jesus then heals the boy. That's just observe what's going on in the text. This is going to be more important. Um, it's going to be not more important. It's going to be uh, uh, harder to work through um, the, more, the more complex the passage is. So for the gospels and for stories, it's pretty easy to observe what's going on. Uh, but for letters, it's going to take a little bit more digging to figure out the main like observations. Um, for prophecies, it's going to take a little bit more digging. Um, but you ask, you know, the questions like, "What is the message?" If it's a if it's a letter that Paul's writing, what is the message of this section? What is he telling the people? Um, and then also identifying, especially if you're in like a prophecy or a letter, like what are the what are the key words? Like, what are the main words? Did Paul use the word justification? Did he use the word salvation? Did he use the word um, uh, holiness? Like, you just identify the important words that are drawn up um, in that passage of Scripture. So right now, you're not, you're not like, trying to figure out um, what it means. You're not trying to figure out what it means theologically. You're just observing what's going on in this passage What's the message if it's a letter or a prophecy? Who are the main characters? Who? Uh, what are the important words? What are the What are the important phrases? You're just figuring out what the what the passage is saying. Um, also, a good practice through this is to then retell the story or reword um, the 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 section of scripture in your own words. Digest it, observe it, then retell it again in your own words. 
so that's the observation. That's the that's the thirty thousand foot um, overview of the passage. That's your first step as you're reading through Scripture. Pastor Ben, do you have anything you want to drop in on that? No, you're you're exactly right. Asking the right questions is definitely the way to uh, glean what God has has for you. And I think as you you go about that, and you kind of talked about this already, but it's just so important to understand the first question that you're going to ask is, what is God saying to these people? Uh, we fall into a dangerous trap when we read scripture and we act like God wrote it directly to us. In fact, yes. some really, really bad right. teachings stem from this, where people will read the book of Revelation and assume that John wrote it to the 21st century church. <laughs> John was not doing that. And uh, whenever we read the Bible like that, we, we do damage. So the first question is... What is God saying to these people? And so please, 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 as you're reading, understand it was written to a specific people in a specific time, but still does communicate to us. Yeah, the way that I like to say that is the Bible is written for us, but it is not written to us. So it was written to specific people in specific time. Um, it is good for us, and God God uh, inspired it to have purpose for all people, all time, but it is not written to us. So when we observe, um, that's really what we're doing is trying to figure out what is a what is the what is that particular section of scripture saying to the people that it was written to. Um, that's kind of the first thing that we're doing. Just simply, what is the passage and what does it say? And then the next part, the next step where we get a little bit deeper is the interpretation um, section. So then this is when we start thinking um, it, it's the next level deeper um, than the observation. It's the next step. Um, once we observe the text, um, what is the text written? Um, what is the text saying to the people it was written to? Uh, what is the context? What is the history of the passage? All those types of questions we can ask in the observation phase. When we get to the interpretation phase, um, and I'm going to say this and it's going to scare some of you, but don't be scared because it's not it's not that scary. Um, this is kind of when we have to put on our like theology hats because in, all theology is is talking about God. That's all that theology is. So anytime someone says something like, um, well, God has a plan for this, right? Something bad happens in their life and they say, well, God has a plan. They're doing theology. They are talking about God and they are making assertions about how God operates in the world. So we all we all talk about God, um, if we're believers especially, and we all have theology. We all do theology. Um, so what I want to do is I want to equip you to be really great um, thinkers and really great uh, talkers about God because that's going to help us as we read the scripture. So this interpretation phase, this next level after observation is when we put on our little theologian hats and we start asking questions about what does this passage tell us about us? What does this passage tell us about God? What does this passage have to do about Jesus? So for example, as we're reading through I don't know. I don't know, Ben. What's a, what's a passage that we can, a story that we, or something that we can we can discuss? I think right away you just look at the first story of the Bible, which is the, right the creation, the creation, the yeah. Garden of Eden, and you're going to have all three of these elements right away. Yes. So why don't you kind of parse that out for okay. us? Okay. Yeah. So then let's talk about um, 
uh, let's let's just talk about the story of the the fall, um, which I don't really like that term because it's like it's almost it's almost like it sounds like it was an accident. It wasn't an accident. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was a rebellion. They were rebelling against God. Um, so let's 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 tackle that story. So um, uh, Satan comes in the form of the snake. Um, the adversary comes in the form of the snake. Tempts Adam and Eve. Um, Tempts Eve. Um, she eats the fruit. She gives it to her husband. He eats the fruit. Um, and then God comes. They they realize that they're naked. Uh, they wear fig leaves. God comes and says, where are you? They hide from him. Um, and then he draws them out and he has a conversation with them. So let's just look at that. So for as we're reading through that passage in, in Genesis 3, um, we can find some clues. We can do some theology. And one of the questions that we might ask in the interpretation phase is, what does this passage tell us about people? What does it tell us about humans? And... Um, and so what we can see, we can see lots of things about humans in that story. That's a story just, you know, ripe with, with good imagery. Oh, sorry about that pun. Um, but it's, um, we can see here that humans um, are um, tempted, right? Okay, so humans tend to be, uh, we tend to be prone to taking in information that maybe isn't great for us. And we see things that we like and we are tempted to take them. That kind of tells us a little bit about that. Um, we also can see some of the after effects of um, sin. Once we take the fruit, once Adam and Eve, Eve takes the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they realize that they're naked and they start hiding. First, they hide from each other by wearing fig leaves and then they hide from God. So then what does that tell us about us? Well, we tend to hide our sin, right? And we try to make ourselves seem better than we are. Um, so there's this kind of like um, uh, this shame that's associated with sin in humans. Um, and we can see in our world that we try to hide from each other by lying about our, um, our, how good we are at certain things by, you know, I hear it all the time. Um, you know, we're in Sterling, Illinois and moving here. One of the first things I notice is that everyone is obsessed with sports and it's funny because almost everyone that I talked to was a great athlete in high school, right? And so not all of us were almost D1 level athletes. But hearing people talk about their high school accomplishments, you would almost think that that was the, that like the whole city was full of almost D1 athletes. Um, so that's kind of right, right. I can kind of observe in the world that we tend to hide ourselves behind things um, that are in inadequacies and in our sin um, makes us want to hide from each other. Um, and one of the ways that we do that is by um, telling lies about our accomplishment or twisting our accomplishments to make them sound a little bit better. Um, so we can kind of see that, right? So, okay. So people like to hide. Um, they like to do, um, they like to hide from each other. And we also like to hide uh, from God, um, which we can go all sorts of directions with that. Um, but we can see in this short passage, we see some things about humans. Okay. That tells us, you know, we hear some things about people, uh, that we're tempted, that we like to hide from each other, that we like to hide from God. Um, then we can kind of ask the question, Hey, what does this tell us about God? And well, God comes and he seeks out, um, 
Adam and Eve, and God is all knowing. He's all powerful, but he he comes to them. He he seeks them out, and he he uses a word. Um, he says, "Where are you? Right? Why are you hiding from me?" Um, he calls for them and allows them to come out from their hiding with a word. He invites them out. Um, he does not um, at this point yet. Um, punish or threaten punishment, even though he already knows what they've done. He calls them out, and then they come out, and then they work through all the um, all the things that they have done. So, what do we? What does this passage tell us about God? Well, he seeks, he seeks, and he calls, and he draws people out. Um, he does not um, come in with lightning bolts at a distance and strike people who sin, but he is actually calling them, calling them out. Um, and then we can ask the next question um, is, what does this have to do with Jesus? Um, well, uh, there's not a clear, right? This is a, a Hebrew Bible passage. We believe that it points to Jesus, um, but it may not necessarily, we may not necessarily see Jesus present um, in this passage. Uh, what I think that this passage does is that this passage may work um, like law on us. As we read the passage, we see um, ourselves, we see our own actions in Adam and Eve being tempted to take something that's not ours, um, trying to hide from each other through uh, lies and deception, trying to hide from God by justifying ourselves. Where you know Adam goes, God asks Adam, "What have you done? Or or why are you? Why who told you that you were naked?" And he immediately self justifies. Well, Eve gave me the fruit, and then he asks Eve, "What's up?" She immediately self justifies. She says, "The snake lied to me." Um, so, you know, we know we hide from each other and from God through lies and self-justification. We know that God is, and, and, and those, those things work on us. We can see ourselves doing those things and that, um, helps us see our need for Jesus. So maybe that might be how it points us to Jesus. It helps us see that we need Christ to come and to do the thing that we cannot do, uh, to lead a perfect life. So that, that can get us to Jesus through what we would call that second use of the law. It's revealing to us our inadequacy um, to know God. So after that kind of interpretation um, section, then we move on to the third level, which is kind of the deepest level, which is what we call the application um, section. And and the interpretation, the application section are not clear cut. Um, you, uh, When I study for like a sermon or something like that, um, the interpretation and application, you kind of... Uh, you go back and forth between them, right? They kind of play off each other and you you actually like develop an interpretation by thinking about yourself and the world around you and you um, get to your application through the interpretation of the text, right? So so the, these aren't clear cut. These last two aren't clear cut. Um, but the application question, the main question that we're asking is what does this mean for my life? And what does this mean for the congregation's life or the church's life. Um, in this particular text, this story that we're looking at, um, the fall, um, we know that it means that we're sinners. Uh, we know we can see ourselves in the text. We can see ourselves self-justifying. Um, we see that God uh, comes to Adam and Eve and calls them out um, and, um, and speaks to them. Um, so what we see in our own life is that when we sin, 
we know that God comes to us, that he calls us out of our shame, um, that he calls us out of, out of ourselves. Um, and we know that because of Jesus, he actually, he justifies us and he makes us right with him. Um, despite that. So we can kind of see ourselves in Adam, Adam and Eve. The next question that I ask during this, um, uh, application question is what does this text do to me? And this is the law and the gospel question, which I talked a little bit about when we, when we try to find Jesus in the passage. Um, what does this text do to me? This particular fall text works as law and gospel. I guess it does a little bit of both. It works as law on me because I see myself in Adam and Eve and I see my own sin, the ways that I hide from God and hide from others. Um, but it also works as gospel because God comes to Adam and Eve. He does not strike them down on the spot, um, which he told them that if they ate the fruit, surely they would die, um, which, which would imply like you, if you just read that for the first time, you would think instantly, like you would die instantly. Um, but they don't, God comes to them. He seeks them out. He actually kills an animal and covers their shame, um, with skin. Um, and so we actually kind of see the gospel beginning to work, on Adam and Eve, um, even at that, even at that early time. So we can see the gospel working on us, that God comes to us. He calls us. Um, he, he welcomes us back. He justifies us in his sight. Um, and then we're free from those things. So we can kind of see the law and the gospel working in that passage. Um, but that's the last question that we ask, what does this passage do, um, to me? Um, so that application portion is simply, um, what does this mean for my life? Uh, some are going to be more complex. Some are going to be more simple. Um, we ask, what does this mean for our church, for our congregation? Uh, we ask, what does this text do to me? Does it cause me guilt? Does it give me command? Does it give me promises? Does it uh, provide? Um, does it does it get me to Jesus? Um, that's the kind of questions that we ask in the application. So we have the three sections. I'm just going to do a quick review: um, observation, interpretation, application observation, who, what, where, when, why, um, big open-ended questions. Um, what's going on in the passage? What's the main message? Who are the main characters? What are the main words? Um, interpretation questions. What does this tell us about people? What does this tell us about God? How, um, what does this have to do with Jesus? And then we get to that application portion, um, which is what does this mean for me right now? What does it mean for my congregation, for my church? Um, what does this text do to me? Does it give me a command? Uh, does it um, uh, show me my guiltiness? Does it give me the gospel? How does this? How does? How is God actually working on me through this text? Those are three main things. Um, ben, what do you? Uh, do you have any thoughts? Any corrections? Any anything on that? No, that was really good. I, I think it's really critical as you think about this to understand that the observation portion, the interpretation portion, and the application portion are all crucial. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to give you a couple warnings as you dive into this, as you try this. Um, The first one is this. When you read scripture, understand who scripture is written to, right? It's written to a specific people in a specific time and place. And so you have to understand their context and the writer's intent to them to understand how that writer's intent applies to you in the modern day. People do a lot of damage to scripture by inferring this idea that it was written directly to me in the 21st century, right? And so what that does is it it discounts a lot of history and reality. And we do things like this, right? We read the book of Revelation and we're like, okay, so John is just writing this to us as a 21st century church. So we pull out 
our latest newspaper or app on the news. And then we compare the two and we're like, okay, this must be about Russia, Ukraine, whatever, some political <laughs> leader. And, and so we, we get ourselves into a lot of trouble. And so understand that that's not the reality. The reality is John, like the book of Revelation, was written to a specific people, the early church, for a specific point to protect them, to guide them, and to move them in the direction that he needed them to go and what God wanted them to do. And so understand that. But then it's still written to us. And so then we take those truths and we apply them to our lives, but we cannot invert those two or we do some serious damage. Now, also, as you do this application portion, it's important to understand that there is a whole bunch of history of the church. There's a whole bunch of people who are smarter than you, they're smarter than me, they're smarter than probably anyone you've ever met before who have studied this stuff for a long, 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 long time. And so as you're studying and as you're reading, if you come to some conclusion that you think is not just unique or or nuanced or interesting, but it's new, no one's ever thought of this before, uh, that should throw up a huge red flag right? If, if you're looking at commentaries and no one's matching what you're saying, if you're talking to your pastor and he looks at you like you're a fruit loop, uh, you probably are. Um, unfortunately this happens very, very easy. Um, of course our arrogance plays into this. Our ego plays into this. We read something. It has nothing to do with the history of the church. It has nothing to do with past theology. We think that God has given us some special revelation that no one else has had. Uh, that should definitely uh, throw up a red flag. We should question ourselves. God has used many intelligent people throughout history to give us a great uh, foundational groundwork for what we believe. And uh, it really freaks me out when people post online on Facebook, is, of course, is the kind of major medium for that. And they'll say, look, at this is my new revelation. This is the new thing that God has taught me. No one has ever seen this before. There's a reason no one has seen this before, because more than likely, 99.999% of the time, because it's not there. So be careful, be humble, ask some people that you trust, hey, I'm seeing this, is this valid, right? Before you start applying it to your life. And then of course, the natural tendency is to apply it to everyone's life. And so just be careful. Of course, this is an art and science and uh, the reality is the science means that there's experts in this field, in this craft. And so as you apply it, take those things, things into account. Uh, when you're talking to a pastor, if he starts saying something that you've never heard, has never been true in the history of the church. And I'm not talking about details. I'm, I'm talking about like application portions, uh, truth portions. You should ask what's going on. Is that true? Where did you find that? It's very, very important, especially in your own personal study, to have a little bit of humility and to understand that there's people who have gone before you and much smarter people, much smarter than me, much smarter than anyone you've encountered. And so please, 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 um, before you just randomly apply stuff to your life, double check if it's actually true. Yeah, that's really good. Um, those are all really important points. And I and I mentioned in my... Um, the podcast a couple of, of weeks ago in the simple way to read scripture. Um, I do um, suggest a couple of resources, um, a couple of commentaries, uh, which is what um, a, a biblical commentary is simply um, one author or several authors, scholars who 
um, are commenting on the text that you're working through. And there's a great um, little one-volume commentary called the NIV Compact Commentary. Um, it's it's meant to um, – it uses the text of the New International Version, the tra- that particular translation of Scripture. Um, but the little um, commentary that they have is super small. It can fit in your purse. It can fit in your, like, glove box. It's, it's tiny. And it's the whole Scripture. And it essentially takes uh, portion by portion – and just kind of explains what's happening and gives a little bit, not a whole lot, um, but a little bit of interpretation. So really it's more to just help you understand what's going on in the text. Um, That's a great commentary. If you want to start there, it's also really cheap. You can buy it on Amazon, I think for like five bucks. Um, But there are other commentaries like that, um, that are small and easy to use that you could keep with your Bible and you can use in reference as you're reading through the Bible, you get to get to a section, you're like, Dude, there's like these beasts coming out of the ocean and I, dreams. I don't even know what to do with this part portion of the text. Um, there are commentaries that can help you work through and kind of categorize those portions so that you understand um, uh, more accurately what that text, what's going on in that text. So then you can help avoid some of these like outlandish applications that aren't really rooted in uh, the biblical story, but are more rooted in. Um, particular beliefs about um, politics or the end times or certain things that aren't, we don't actually see them rooted in scripture itself. Um, Yeah, I think, I think that's all I have been, unless you have something else you want to, you want to say. I imagine that you may want to listen to this. I mean, I listen to podcasts two or three times usually to get all the information. This is a long one that has a lot of information. Um, if you want um, more information on this, I'm actually producing um, a document that has uh, a almost it has this huge list of questions based on this three um, uh, three level uh, study method, the observation, interpretation, application. Um, and it gives all sorts of questions to ask of a text. Um, for that. So if you want that to have in your Bible with you, um, you can just fold it in half and keep it in your Bible. So as you're reading the text, you could be asking those questions. Um, you can ask me for that. I'd be happy to give that to you. Uh, but that's my method of study. And I, I think that's a simple method um, that people, even with very little um, training in uh, the biblical world and in uh, biblical studies, can really know the scripture and understand it. Well, thank you for joining us today. Hopefully this has inspired you to get back into your reading or to understand your reading in a deeper way. Remember, this does not have to be a New Year's resolution. Yes. There's nothing special about January 1st. Start so anytime. As you're listening today, uh, start today, right? God wants to speak to you. God wants to start a conversation with you. And this is his primary way of communicating with you. And so please, please, please take advantage of that. Well, join us next week. As we continue to seek to empower you to internalize God's truth and use God's truth in your life group. And we're going to talk specifically next week about speaking to people in your life group, right? Sharing the truth that God has given you and also having those conversations, not just in your life group, but in everyday life. And so we hope to see you next week. We hope to connect with you and continue to help you move further down your path that God has for you.
Until then, I have been Pastor Ben, and with me as always has been Pastor Eric, and we look forward to talking with you guys next week. Thank you.